It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 126, The Paradox of Loss Aversion. It's uh, 22 minutes past 9pm on Thursday, the 13th of December, 2018. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, we look at the EV in parking Super Saturday hits in the Premiership and in Scotland. And we discuss the paradox of the theory of loss aversion and discuss morality on, on the actions of the customer in Bookie Bashing. After the break, we discuss the darts and perhaps not much more because this is a late Bashcast. So all that and maybe not much more coming up. Tonight on the Bashcast. 22 minutes past nine in the evening, considering I usually do this in the early afternoon, but kids took over today. Took all my time. So, uh, simultaneously flicking between round one of the PDC World Championships, Lisa Ashton was four to one in the first round to beat Jan Decker. Um, mega boosts going around, which I didn't see any higher than 4.0. So congratulations on your mega boosts, bookmakers. You're still taking, at the boosted price, you're still taking like 20% juice on the bet and you're probably going to be stupid enough to limit people anyway. Well, maybe you were clever for not going too high because Lisa Ashton has won the first two legs against Jan Decker. Broke him in the first held throw just the second in time. And so, could she be the first lady into the second round of the World Championships? We will see. And then on 4-1-4, if I flick over to there, Arsenal play FK Carabag, where I'm on like a Zet for in-play Double Delight Hattrick Heaven. He has got the first goal and they lead 1-0. So I want the second goal for an 11-2 payout and the third goal for an 11-1 payout so all that's happening live in the background just now when this baby hits 88 miles per hour you're gonna see some serious shit parking in bromsgrove um is a nightmare like a lot of commuter towns an absolute nightmare in the town center um you can park for free a little bit away and walk in uh, if you want to annoy the local residents. Um, but if you're travelling to, say, William Hill or Betfred, Ladbroke, Coral, you, it's usually time-dependent and worth the effort of finding a car parking spot next to town. That's not always guaranteed. That's how busy it is. That's how few car parking spaces there are. 
compared to visitors. So they're able to charge premium car parking prices despite being in what is essentially rural Worcestershire. I mean, I pay a premium charge for my internet because I'm in an extremely rural location, which I thought was what, you know, the Isle of Skye or the Outer Hebrides or Svalbard was extremely rural, not a commuter town 15 miles from Birmingham. But that's where we are. And so they get away with charging London car parking prices. So in the central car park in town, it is a flat charge of £2 for an hour, £4 for two hours, so no discount for an extended stay, which is cheeky, I think. Um, And you can't stay for longer than two hours because uh, the car parking spaces are such a commodity. So there you go. But they don't get away with London-style penalty charges. So the penalty charge is £50 if you get a ticket. But if you pay that charge within 14 days, then it is £25. So... The charge is really £25 or £2 for parking. And if you're going to be longer than an hour, it's £4 for parking. So there is an EV calculation every time you go into the centre of Bromsgrove. I mean, you could just pay the parking charge. Um, but if you're going to be parking there for 10 minutes just to pop out to Betfred um, and back... What are the odds that you're going to get a car parking ticket? I'll, I'll tell you what now. The odds are longer than 12 and a half to 1. You're not going to get a parking ticket in a 10-minute window every 12 and a half times. How do I know? I don't. But I have a sample size now of about 20 instances where I've got in. And I've stopped buying a ticket because I suspected that 10 minutes was just too narrow a window for the car parking warden to come round and find my car. And I'm sure there's some rule where they have to see it and then they have to come back five minutes later and see it as well. So it's like not only does the car parking warden have to be there, and if he was there, by the way, I wouldn't do this, but he has to arrive when I don't see him and come back within that window and see that I have just left the car there and issue me a ticket. I just don't think that would happen every 12 and a half times. Now, I've done it about 20 times now, so I feel like I'm free rolling. And if he doesn't come the next time and the next time, fine. But if he does come, I'm still up. Like, if he comes the next time... And charges me. Well, that's the 21st occasion. So, by all means and rights, I should have paid £42 in parking. Yeah, I'm going to get away with £25 charge. I'm still £17 in profit. So, from here on in, surely, the thing to do is not pay a parking charge. And I'm sure I'll be caught one day. I'm not just ripping off the landowner here, the poor landowner charging £2 a flat rate for 10 minutes um, parking. I w- I'll happily pay the penalty notice when it arrives. So um, I'll keep you up to date about that. See how it goes. 
As I say, it's a, it might be a short bash cast tonight because it's half past nine now. I listened to Poker Fraud Alert with Todd Botellis, who's a, um, a Californian poker player in his 40s. Like I am, but he's at the like end of his forties. I think I'm at the beginning, which me, makes me a sprightly chicken compared to him. But he does he does the Poker Fraud Alert podcast. It's seven hours long every week. He got ill a couple of months ago, so he hasn't done it for a while. But for years, it was seven hours long, and he starts it at like ten o'clock at night and finishes at five o'clock in the morning. How does he do that? I want, I I know probably how he does that. He doesn't have small children. That's how he does that. But it's like half nine at night. I'm thinking I need to start wrapping up. And then I realise I haven't even got to number one in the agenda. So what is number one in the agenda? Super Saturday. I was away at a wedding in Saturday. Who knew you could drive west, by the way, from um, the Midlands for four hours and still be on land? Never eat shredded wheat. Who knew that you could drive east from the Midlands and still be on land? No one. But uh, this wedding was on in the, the coast of Essex. So I didn't do a mega amount on Saturday. I just got on the low-hanging fruit. And as it transpired, the low-hanging fruit all came in, which was really nice when I was at the wedding, just watching it go winner, 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 winner. We had uh, in the premiership, as I scroll down, Liverpool with a lunchtime game against Bournemouth. Now, Liverpool have to be serious title contenders here. I had money on Liverpool um, to win the Premiership without Manchester City at the beginning of the season. It was a broader's tip. And now I feel like I could have had them just outright because that was an unexpected 4-0 victory against Bournemouth. Come on, had Mo Salah boosted to 5-1 to one and his lay came in to 5.2 just before kickoff. So um, £50 mug at 5-1 to one returned £250 profit just to kick the day off on the way to the wedding. And then they also set up, oh, Liverpool to win both halves at Betfred. This was really thin, but whatever. It's like sometimes you could say, well, what are you betting on that for? It's really thin. I like to say I'm following smart money. So it snuck into the positive EV. I'm almost at a situation now where I'll just take 101% as long as it's claimed from 99 up to 101%. It's a different story if it's sort of dropping down from 105, 103 to 101%. And then I'm probably going to not take it. Liverpool to win both halves, 4-1 to one at Betfred. That came in with the Mo Salah, £100 at Betfred. Um, those, I could have got more than £50 on it, Salah, come on, I think they do have decent limits on those boosts, it's just I only had £50 in my account, so what was I going to do? I could have deposited, but I was in a rush. So that was a very decent up, but also that set up Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United, which was the 2-1 to one Betfred boost in the afternoon. Uh, Arsenal beat Huddersfield Town, squeezed past them though. 1-0, leaving it to Manchester United, no real dramas against Fulham, 4-1. So all of those came in, and that got the day off to a very good start. There was also the Scottish League One. And again, this is as thin as you like, but I am now starting to say it, it nipped into the tracker as positive expectation, as proof of money coming in for it because the, they never set these boots up over 100% to begin with. It's always because they've they've squeezed in. And this was a Betfair Sportsbook slash Paddy Power the boosters are both uh, league Scottish league boosts across League One and League Two. 
It was Arbroath to beat Forfa Athletic, Elgin to beat Albion Rovers in Division 2, in League 2, and Peterhead to beat Berwick away from home. Such a tricky tie for Peterhead. Well, they won 5-0. Elgin won 4-2. Arbroath in a five-goal thriller won 3-2. And again, it was only 2-1 to to back. Uh, Sorry, 6-4 to back, 3.5. 3.48 is what I recorded a fair market price for. Um, Betfair Sportsbook and Paddy, though, will take three figures on those bets, which is what interests me about them. They are no William Hill headline price. Uh, so all in all, with the Premiership, with that, uh, with Liverpool, um, with Salah um, and with everyone, I was £700 up uh, by the end of the 3 p.m.s. And then in the evening games, there was the opportunity of Double Delight Hattrick Heaven, and I'd had a drink, and someone told me that Son was value. So I backed Son at 92, and then I realised Son was value when he was 7-1. to one. And so my 92 was definitely negative EV, but what was I going to do? Um, and he scored the first goal of that game. And also on the tracker, I saw Barcelona. And this is a beauty about the tracker. You know, I'm not following Barcelona. I'm not... I'm at a wedding, I don't know what's going on, but I did see that William Hill had them to win by three or more goals on Saturday afternoon at um, four to one. The lay had come into 4.3, so another 50 on that. Finished the day with about £1,000 profit after a couple of losing bets. It was just short, it was high 900. So that was an excellent day on Saturday. I, I think I enjoyed it more because I can have these days where I work all day and the results go against me and I'm exhausted. But this was one of these days where I hardly worked at all. It was like a couple of minutes on the tracker, placed the bets, just monitoring it. And it's just just one of those strange days where everything came in. The only sort of exclusive, inclusive bet was Liverpool. So it was nice that that kicked off at lunchtime. And there was a symmetry to the day's betting where if we got off to a good start... Um, it was going to be a good day, and that's how it transpired. Had a bit of trouble with the tracker today. Um, Betfair went down. Um, the, this slightly, this irritated me. Not because the tracker's down. What, what are we going to do when Betfair's down? There's nothing we can do, you know? That, that's out of our control, and these things happen. But um, I spent all morning. I got back from CrossFit um, at 9, but then I had Ewan until half 10, like bottle feeding Ewan and so I'm late to start and so up from half 10 to lunchtime I went through all the bookies as I do every morning like 30 bookmakers seeing the Europa League boosts and the weekend boosts and I was importing them all into the tracker when Betfair went down it took all the non-static boosts with them and bets with them Fair enough. And then when Betfair came back, well, this is the first time that this has happened to the tracker, and um, those they were all gone. I don't know why. No, um, I think Lee's looking into fixing it. Um, just one of those teething problems that you have with these things. But that was uh, two hours worth of work gone like that. And so um, it was probably a little bit of a dry day because there just wasn't the hours in the day. Um, I think one of the reasons why the Bashcast is late this evening is a knock-on effect from Betfair going down early. And then Smarkets went down a little bit later either. The Flash Odds Horse, which has behaved impeccably well all week, I think four out of four days. Well, the price has just been so predictable, and predictability equals profit. 
it has um, got raised up and boosted. And I've realized that they boost it in shop first, like from 20 to 12. So the boosts, that's probably a reason why it's already um, artificially high by the time you see which horse and which race it is on the exchange, uh, on William Hill at 12 p.m. online, because people have already seen in shop. Um, but it's just gone up. And then sat there for hours. And patience is the key. If you're expecting it to come straight back down after the layers have left the market and come in and and laid their tenors at six to back and 5.8 to lay, it doesn't. It sits there. It sits there all day. Um, there's probably just enough trading money there, meaning that um, it's not going to immediately come down. It will sit there for a couple of hours. And then the hour before the race, we'll start seeing some movement. And every single day this week, it's just come back down and down. And the only question you've got to ask yourself is how far it's going to come down. I mean, if it go, if it comes down further than it ever was before the boost, then it's no longer a reaction to being boosted at William Hill and everybody laying their bets. You're in uncharted territory where there's actual price movement going on. And so you're, we're just getting lucky if we're getting a mega low price. But we did all week this week. We were able to lay um, over a point underneath what we backed at, you know? Um, so consistent greening up profits. I think only a couple of them did win if, if going for the full underlay. I keep saying I've got to stop doing that. Duncan likes a green up. He really does. He loves a green up and then rubs it in your face. You normally hear about Duncan's green ups when the Flash Horse, horse is lost because he knows damn right that I have underlaid it to the max. Um, and so I've made hardly anything apart from my stake backers. Here goes Lacazette. Go on. Here we go. Oh, he... Oh, he had an open goal. And he passed it to Saka, and Saka couldn't... Uh, Saka, Saka looks like he's knocked out the goalkeeper because who saved the shot with his face, to be fair. Wow, that was exciting times. So, yeah, um, the flash odds horse has been very good. Um, indeed, this week. The one thing I wanted to say about it is... Um, this is just, tra I see trading in the same way that I see value mugs, right? You're not going to make money 100% of the time. And if you expect to, then you already have a losing mindset because you're going to become too frustrated by those times um, when the shape of the graph goes against you or is unpredictable and you lose money. And you think, well, hold on, I should be making money because I am obviously can't predict this. Because it's no longer a game of William Hill boosting, match betters getting on at William Hill and then laying their bets and exploiting those later layers. Because there's more going on. There are so many traders in the game with that strategy then there's the second layer to think about of, well, okay, I've got all of these people laying their bets, but also I've got the traders who are wanting to exploit the match betters. So now we've got to sort of step up two levels and think, how do I exploit the traders who are exploiting the match betters? And a lot of that is watching out for reactionary panics in the 10 minutes before the race, because if the horse hasn't come down... Not this week, but before this week, you frequently see panic laying and leapfrogging and the horse 
um, on the exchange flying well above what William Hill boosted at and it keeps on going and going and going and sometimes like William Hill could boost to like three or four you can see it going up to eight or nine on the exchange because people are panicking and desperately try to trade out their positions then the horse race goes in play and within 30 seconds of the horse race going in play the horse comes all the way down from seven or eight down to three or four the steady price it was before William Hill had boosted it what's going on there is the horse um, steaming ahead and now mega value no uh, the market is just um, uh, full of panic leapfrogging layers who are jumping over each other trying to get a price artificially raising the price of this the other horses' prices are artificially coming down as a result of that. The whole thing is off-syncing completely wacko um, uh, and bears no reflection of the actual true probability of the odds of the horse winning because I saw one of the horses go from, in the last 10 minutes before the race, went from 5 to 10 and then the horse won. So it's like, unfortunately... I, I traded out in play. I had a lot backed at like f five. And when it went up to 10, I left it in play. And it didn't look like it was going to come down. And I traded a little bit at eight or nine. And then the horse won. And I gutted that I laid at eight or nine when the horse won. But definitely a consistent profit stream for me just now. So here is an interesting one from William Hill. And I want to make this the topic of this week. This is about a bet that we posted um, last, when was it? The 5th of December. In fact, it was nearly two weeks ago and it was in time for last week's Bashcast. But I didn't quite want to talk about it last week. It was too fresh. So I've left it for this week. William Hale posted an offer up on the 5th of December, this is the Wednesday. Today's great sport, sports offers 20. And they said, over 45 goals in the English Premier League and 745 EFL trophy and the Scottish Premier Division will be 6 to 1. Over 45 goals will be 6 to 1. This is offer 20. Now, I didn't get on it. But I know a lot of people did. A lot of close acquaintances got on it. A lot of people on the forum got on it. Um, some mates got on it. I think I felt like, by the way, I was pretty much the only person in the entire world that didn't get on it. But that, that was just the way the cookie crumbled that particular evening. So over 45 goals is 6-1. to one. And the bet lost. So, looking at the games that evening, in the Premiership, there were 18 goals. In the Scottish Premiership, there were 17 goals. And in the EFL Trophy 745 games, there were 5 goals. 18, 17 and 5. So, there were 40 goals that evening. So, that bet is a loser. There, there were not over 45. I mean, over 45 means 46 or more. The ambiguity, there could be ambiguity if there were 45, but it was a definite loser. There were only 40. The following day, there's a post on the forum from somebody that says that they've taken their bet slip to William Hill and William Hill have paid it out as a winner. And my immediate reaction was, that can't be true. 
Now, if you go, if you go onto the screens in William Hill, these are like the customer screens. You can go onto the screen. You can see the odds of everything that takes place that day and get your odds. And you can also see what the great offers are. I think you have to select number eight and then cycle through them. And if you're sneaky, take a photograph of them and then send them to Wookie Bashing so that we can re-evaluate them each morning. Um, I know some people don't like taking a photograph um, in a betting shop of a screen, but I've never heard of a single person ever having being told off for it or asked to stop. Um, perhaps there will be one day with a job's worth, but it's definitely useful because, of course, when these bets come in three minutes before kickoff, we don't have time to go through them. But if they come in early morning, and they are available early morning, then we do. So you can go onto these screens and you can see what the daily offers are, and you can also see the results of the previous day. So if you went to the results here, you would see... Um, Bet 17, lose, and they give a reason why it lost. So bet 17 was lose um, because they wanted over two goals in the Man United and Celtic games, and the reason was Celtic was 1-1. Okay, bet 18, lose, bet 19, lose, bet 20, over 45 goals in tonight's EPL, 7.45 EFL trophy games and SPFL matches. It says win. Over 45 goals says win, and it's been paid out as a winner. There were 18 goals in the Premiership, 17 in the Scottish Premiership, and five goals in the EFL Trophy. That's 40 goals. There just wasn't 45 goals. So I'm trying to figure out what's happened there. I think they have had a little bug where they... Luton Town versus Southend United in the EFL Trophy finished 1-1 and went to penalties. And Southend won 4-2 on penalties. And if you take those extra six goals, you get to 46. And all of a sudden, it's a winner. And I think that's what they've done. I think they've taken Luton Town 1, Southend 1, to be worth eight goals because they've included the penalties at the end so as soon as this information was available um the advice to anyone with a slip was to run <laughs> run as fast as you can i heard that one friend had uh, assumed that it was a losing slip and had locked the bet slip or thrown the bet slip away in a confidential waste paper bin which cannot be opened once you've thrown away something in there, it is under lock and key and only a private contractor can open it and that private contractor would take five days to come and open the bin. By which time it would be very likely that William Hill had worked out that the bet was not a winner, it was a loser. And so time was not on that guy's side. It does beg the question though, should we... Go and ask William Hill to pay out on that bet, knowing that it's a loser, but knowing that William Hill have paid it out as a winner. Now, I want to be clear. I'm certainly not of the highest moral high ground here. Uh, I would almost certainly go and collect. I like to think myself as a good moral standing person. Um... I was asked the question the other day, if you were in a restaurant and you ordered a bottle of wine 
and then you got the bill and the bottle of wine had been omitted, would you tell the restaurant? And I think most people would. And I think if the circumstances were correct, I would as well. So why do we not play the same game with William Hill? I think it's because I'm sure some people are of a moral standing where they wouldn't go and collect this, but more people would than wouldn't, in my opinion, certainly from the opinions that I've canvassed. I've asked a lot of people this question, and everybody has said, this is Bookie Bashers and non-Bookie Bashers alike. I asked my mum, I asked my sister, I asked Bookie Bashers. I have yet to come across a single person who said that they would not go and collect this bet. And the general consensus is the behaviour of the bookmaker in the past justifies going collecting this. I think there's there's a, a reasoning that is used that the bookmakers have been scummy and, you know, have there's this impression that they would do anything to get one over the customer. And so because they have had proof of behaving in such a fashion in the past, it's okay to behave to them like that just now. Um, that's very utilitarian... It doesn't probably promote the the best possible society that you want to live in. The best possible society we want to live in, all of us, is based on fairness. Fairness, democracy, and egalitarianism. And so in that society, we should all stand up and say, excuse me, Mr. William Hill, you have settled this bet as a winner, but in fact, there were only 40 goals and you shouldn't be paying me out any money. Perhaps can I have a reward for pointing this out to you because no doubt this error is costing you hundreds of thousands, possibly millions. You know, I don't know how many people got on the great sports offer, 20, but I can, I would imagine at the minimum it was 100,000 100, liability. It could have been a lot more. So it just got me wondering, what would you do, listener, if you had a winning, if you had a losing bet slip that you know was being paid out as a winner? Would you go to the bookmaker and let them know, out of the kindness of your heart, that they were, they'd got something wrong? Or would you go and collect the money? There is a theory here on why a lot of people, including probably myself, would go and collect the money. And it's to do with the psychological field of loss aversion. So this is cognitive psychology and decision theory, and it refers to loss aversion, which is people's tendency to prefer avoiding losses to acquiring equivalent gains. You know, the kind of thing where it's better not to lose $5 than to find $5. It's a quite an, a bad principle to take into bookie bashing. It's very prominent in the domain of economics, though. Um, the dis what distinguishes loss aversion from risk aversion is that the utility of a monetary payoff depends on been previously experienced or what's been expected to happen and ownership comes into that quite a lot so this is the podcast i was listening to it's freakonomics is the podcast and they were in particular they weren't discussing humans they were discussing animals they were discussing 
monkeys in particular and the behavioural science of loss aversion in monkeys. And there was a particular experiment that they were trying to mirror with the monkeys that they did on Stanford students. And it was actually the students' results that were the most interesting. They had some research that said that if you asked a large group of people, would you prefer a pen or a mug? About 50% of people would prefer a pen and 50% of people would prefer a mug. I would prefer a mug. Perhaps you would prefer a pen. And so what these clinical psychologists did um, is they wanted to study the behavior of economics at a very basic level. And so they distributed to 50% of the students a pen and to 50% of the students, a mug. And they said to those students, and there was a, it, it wasn't just Stanford, there was a large number of students across universities, large enough to be a significant data set. They said, simply, if you want to swap your mug or your pen, then go and find someone that wants to swap it, and you should be able to. Now, statistically, 50% of the people will be happy because they've been given at random their preferred choice of a mug or a pen, 50% of the people would be unhappy. They've got to go and find someone to trade with, but taking away social interaction problems, and I think they did, they found some controls in the test to take those interaction problems away. Maybe there was like an app or like Tinder which matched people, you know. I think the psychology test was back in the 60s. Um, so they expected 50% of people to go and trade, um, and then, you know, as a whole, the economical satisfaction of all of the students was raised through exchanging these items, except 50% of the students didn't exchange the right items. It wasn't even 40. It wasn't even 30. It wasn't even 20. Only 10% of students decided that they wanted to change their mug for a pen. And the reason was, once they were given the mug, they decided they wanted the mug. Or, once they were given a pen, they were decided they wanted the pen. It was loss aversion that made them change their mind, lower their risk tolerance, and realise that because they now own this tangible thing that is in front of them, then the tangible thing that is in front of them has significantly higher worth than it did than before it was in front of them. In fact, they were able to put a figure on it. Once they could see the object, that object was worth two and a half times more than when the students couldn't see it. And so let's reverse back the situation and apply it to William Hill. It would be very easy for someone to say, oh, you know, perhaps it would be very possible for someone to say i would not go and cash my bet out at william hill i would know that it was a loser and i'm of a moral standing that i would um not rip off this company i don't do that now imagine you're holding a ticket that's worth £1,000 in cash. This ticket, all you have to do is walk into William Hill. You don't even have to say anything. You can pretend to be on your phone or listening to your headphones and just pass this ticket in onto the counter and the woman will go away and collect £1,000 in cash and bring it back to you. The ticket is worth £1,000. 
When you're not holding the ticket, it's very easy to say what you will or will not do with it. But this theory of loss aversion suggests that when you are holding the ticket and you realize that it has a tangible economical worth, then you are going to react differently than what you might imagine. And perhaps that ticket is just worth two and a half times a lower moral standing than anyone that says they wouldn't have cashed it in. I'm certainly not judging if you did, and I'm certainly not judging if you didn't. I found it really, really interesting, though, that everybody that had that ticket that I was aware of managed to get the payout for William Hill. Good for them. Okay, guys. It's enough to take us to the break. You are listening to The Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
Welcome back to the Bashcast. Some romantic techno for Christmas. That is by your side. By Will Soul. Jeez, you smoke too? Are you beginning to sound just like my mother? In the bookie bashing news, it is the PDC World Championships just now. There's a new format in this tournament. Uh, 96 men and women are competing for the World Championships. At the Alexander Palace, I've never been there. That, that's one of my bucket list things to do. I've seen the Premier League of Darts up live and close and it was the most amount of fun ever. I've never been down to the Ali Pali for the PDC World Championships. One year I'll make it though. Uh, Michael Van Gerwen is at the top of the field. He was boosted. He was boosted a lot of places everywhere. He was boosted 2-1 to one at Betfred. He was boosted um, Michael Van Gerwen to win and a nine-darter um, somewhere. Uh, boosted at Coral, boost, um, boosted at Red Army Bet for Michael Van Gogh and, and not an Indata, things like this. Basically, the bookies wanted to take money on Michael Van Gogh. There's a reason why they do this. You see, if they fancy the favourite and he's um, um, above evens, which in a, a 96-player field, you'd think he would be more than evens. But... If they don't want to take money on him, if they're going to take a hammering, then they'll boost the second favourite or the third favourite or come up with some reason not to take money on him. And if they don't fancy him, then um, they will boost him. And that's what's happened here. They don't fancy Michael Van Gogh. And he's had personal problems off the hockey this year. He's not been in his best form. He's no Phil Taylor. He's only won the tournament twice. There's no reason to think that um, he is a surefire to win this. Yes, he's been dominant, but he was—he hasn't been as dominant in 2018 as other years. And last year, he was a heavy pre-tournament odds-on favourite and was beaten by Rob Cross at the semi-final stage. And he was playing better last year than he is this year. This year, he's only won four of 17 single P- singles PDC Tour titles, um, which um, by MVG standard is a disappointment. Um, the draw also is outrageously lopsided. So in the top half, we have Van Gerwen and Gary Anderson, former world champions Raymond Van Barneveld, Adrian Lewis, Simon Whitlock in form... James Wade and Daryl Gurney, all in the same side of the draw. So they all have to get through each other to get to the final, making it very difficult to assign value to any of those guys. Whereas in the bottom half of the draw, defending champion Rob Cross is playing in the background just now against qualifier Deswan. Deswan won the first set 1-0. Cross may not get through this. He's not playing the better of the two. And that makes it interesting. If if Cross is out of the bottom half of the draw, who is it that's going to win? So from the third quarter, 
Cross, Soljevic, and Michael Smith were the favourites. You've got a fancy boy, either Smith or Soljevic. And in the fourth quarter, you've got Gerwin, Price, and Peter Wright. No one really standing out there at all, other than Peter Wright, I think, from the bottom draw. And Peter Wright is 14 to 1 on the exchange. I'll turn this down so we don't have the darts screaming over me just now. <clears throat> I've seen... I think I'm okay to talk about this because the darts have started now. I've seen um, um, the Emporium guys go for Michael, Bully Boy Smith um, and Soljevic. They dismissed Snakebite. Um, but I don't think you can dismiss the draw here. I think the draw is playing such a factor in this tournament. You would not get this in tennis. I'm not quite sure. They've done this for, you know, making interesting first round matches with all the qualifiers coming through, which is a new format. But really, Snakebite's going to be looking at this and thinking, wow. He's in shocking form. Um, he's on the worst run of the year with four of the last 16 exits and the last, sorry, four of his last tournaments being last 16 exits and a last 32 defeat as well. Um, but who's he going to lose to? Let's have a look at who else is there. They're, um, in that fourth quarter, go and Pride, Joe, Cullen, Ian White, Kyle Anderson. And then we start after Kyle Anderson getting to darts players that I've never heard of. <laughs> Jim Long, Noel Malik, Young Wan Liu, Craig Ross. So, yeah, I think... Um, I think Peter Wright is my man to look for in this tournament. Although he irritates me because on more than one occasion, I have seen a bet for an Englishman to you know do X, Y, Z, an Englishman to win, an Englishman to get to the semi-final. And when I'm working out the value, I keep on lumping Peter Wright in there because I hear his voice, um, thinking he's English. Um, when he's actually he's a Scotsman with an Englishman's voice, just like me. So I should have sympathy, but. Um, yeah, he is. Um, he's my bet of the tournament. Reading up on this, one of the ones to look out for is the proclivity of value in nine a nine data in either the tournament or the evening or the day, or where the value actually is in no nine data. That that market where the bookies put up there to be a nine data at some point. I mean, in the tournament on the exchange, which has to reflect what the bookies are doing because arbitrage players shape these things, out, especially since they're so illiquid, away from true value. A nine data in the tournament in a gappy market is 1.67 to back and 1.87 to lay. Um, and quite simply, there have not been enough nine daughters recently to justify that price. It's one of those markets where there's so much mug money for the yes. All the money comes in the yes that the bookies simply cannot offer good odds on the yes. They have to offer poor value, which by proxy means that the no tends to be good value. Um, this year, there's been two nine darters on TV tournaments, which is the same as 2017. And in 2016, there were four. So that's... Six nine darters from 53 tournaments. So you can't imagine that it, the, the nine darters should be odds on in this tournament, even with the extended amount of games. 
that they have. So now it's available at 2.14 on the exchange. I saw it up uh, boosted to 2.375 at Coral. Again, that is because they're not taking any money on no. So they're happy to boost the side of the market where they're not taking any money. And um, I um, got on at Betfair Sportsbook, I think. Or was it Paddy Power? One of the two at like six to five. I don't know if you can still bet on it now, though, because the tournament has started. But um, that's just a that that's a market that is shaped beyond what the true value is. It's shaped by the fact that everybody in the market, all the mugs want to bet on one side of it and nobody wants to bet on the other side of it. And when those situations arise, it's definitely worth looking at the other side. OK, guys, a little shorter this week again it's five minutes to 11 and that's enough for me and um, next week's bash cast will be the final one of the year because i'm going to have a break after that for christmas i may put one up actually but it will be one of those music only bash casts just like we did at the beginning of this year and if you've got any particular tunes that you would like to see on that please post them in the forum and uh, i will make sure that I do so as Rob Cross hits a 170. Very good for him. There are there are no wrong decisions when it comes to music. You put all, you you post something on the forum, I will play it. Um, it's as simple as that. Okay, guys. Whatever you're betting on, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is big. That's a cool fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?